the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Great. It's lovely to be with you. Start of a new year. Wonderful to to meet together, isn't it? Uh, Thank you to Andrew, to Victoria and the band for leading us this morning. Okay, as we've learnt, we are starting a new series this morning entitled Frontline Sundays, five sessions. We're going to spend exploring something, what it means to be church on mission. And church on mission, whether we're gathered together like we are this morning, whether you're here or whether you're watching online, and also, of course, uh, scattered as we will be throughout the majority of the week, as Andrew's just very helpfully reminded of us of. And the aim is to encourage each other to think about what it means to live effectively for God in the places where we spend the majority of our time, the normal places of our lives, what we have called and others call the front lines. And this idea of living the whole of our lives for Christ as whole life disciples has been, as Andrew reminded us, quite an important focus for us over many years. Those of you who have been around for quite a while will probably remember um, two previous series that we had, Life on the Front Line and Fruitfulness on the Front Line, both of which explored how as a, as a gathered community, worshipping together, we can live out our lives as scattered everyday Christians. And this particular series is, is one of three different ways that we're going to be looking at engaging with the topic of frontline mission. We're going to be doing it in our home groups as well. We're going to follow a series of studies entitled The Whole of Life for Christ. Some home groups will have already started that. And in our Sunday afternoon teaching as well, we're going to be looking at a series called Back Behind the Frontline, uh, which is going to explore Paul's first letter to Timothy. Uh, That's going to tackle head-on two potential stumbling blocks that could cause our effectiveness as whole-life disciples to be severely blunted, the themes of legalism and materialism. Thank you. This morning, we're going to take a look at two short passages of Scripture, both of which are extracts from letters. The first reading is going to come from the New Testament. It's going to come from Peter's first letter, which was written to a group of Christians scattered across a wild, wide geographical area in what is now modern-day Turkey. And the second reading is going to come from a much older letter written by the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah to a group of dispirited Judean exiles huddled together far from home, forced to live in a foreign land. But just before we take a look at those readings, I'd like to turn your attention again to the graphic that accompanies the series. Now, at first glance, uh, it may look pretty abstract, but there is, of course, a, a very clear intention behind it, as the video hinted at a few moments ago. According to research, 6% of the population of the UK attends church on a regular basis, and this statistic is represented on the image left-hand side of the screen by the six red dots gathered together in the top corner. Six dots amongst a hundred. On the right-hand side, we see the same representation from the perspective of where people are for most of the week, scattered throughout cities and beyond. And that 6% includes each and every one of us here this morning. We are week on week week by week, in touch with a huge number of situations and peoples. 
whether that be in offices, in voluntary groups, in call centres, in supermarkets, in care homes, in hospital wards, in school classrooms, in gyms, in toddlers groups, in cafes, wherever it may be. We are in contact with a whole load of people. And in both graphics, of course, it's clear that you can see that we are in the minority. But when scattered into the everyday places of our lives, the potential and the opportunity available to be salt and light, to bring something of the truth and the distinctiveness of the Christian message to others, is hugely increased. So with that in mind, let's turn to our first passage from the start of Peter's first letter. We're going to read just two verses from the beginning of the letter. So we're in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, if you've been here for a while, if you were here last summer, you'll know that we had a look at Peter's first letter in its entirety in another one of our Sunday morning series. And right at the start of that series, in the very first of those talks, we explored something of the context, the circumstances surrounding the writing of the letter. At the time of writing, somewhere around about AD 60, things were starting to get a little bit tricky for Christians, especially Christians who were gathered in Rome, which of course is where Peter is writing from. In the second quarter of the first century, Christianity was designated as being a sect within the mainstream Judaism. That meant it afforded protection. But once the spread of Christianity extended extended out from Jerusalem, that protection was removed by the Roman authorities. Rome saw Christianity as a very direct threat. And so the authorities were keen to curb its influence. So Peter writes to his friends to warn them that persecution is coming. And whilst the people that Peter writes to weren't actually exiles in the way that we would use the word most commonly, since by and large these people actually were living in their native country. He refers to them as such because their newfound faith means that they are coming under suspicion. Maybe they're being shunned by their neighbours or their families. Maybe they knew what it was like to be overlooked for promotion. Maybe they just got jostled to the back of the queue in the marketplace. Whatever it was, Christianity was a minority, and they certainly weren't 6% of the population. They're a whole lot less. But notice that Peter is keen to point out that whatever the situation, however beleaguered, however under threat they feel, they are, says Peter, God's chosen people, God's elect, a people called to be distinctive, called to be read amongst the grey called to reflect through the very ordinariness of their lives, the extraordinariness of Christ. 
And the fact that Peter addresses them as chosen and elect is a clear reminder that God's message of good news is for everyone. It's for the world. A message that Peter, if you know your New Testament, didn't think was true to start with. He thought it was solely for the people of Israel. But it was for the world. And it's this mention of the word exile that leads us to the second of our readings for this morning. Because there is... Within the arch of the narrative of the Old Testament story, there's a story of how the people of Israel lost their land. It's a story that is so huge, that is so major in its proportion, that it resulted in almost the total destruction of the nation. Many thousands of God's people were forcibly deported to a foreign land. A once gathered nation became a scattered one across the vast empire of Babylon. And at the close of Matthew's gospel, we read some really familiar words. These are the words that we find there. We often refer to them, don't we, as the Great Commission. Jesus gives these final instructions to his disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. And whilst the instruction to go is very clear... I think it poses two immediate questions. And the questions are these. Where should we go? And when we've got there, how do we set about the task of making disciples? Now, fortunately, this is where Jeremiah just steps in and helps us by allowing us to read for ourselves the text of a letter that he wrote many centuries ago. A letter that is written to a group of God's people living, as I say, in enforced exile. A refugee people living in a culturally alien country under the rule of a foreign power, a minority people. And what Jeremiah has to say to those original recipients of his letter is, I think, very important for us today. As we consider how we can make all of the difference in the world on our front lines. And Ben's going to help us by uh, reading a few verses from Jeremiah 29. Thank you, Ben. This reading's from uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you'd like to turn to that in your Bible, um, I'm going to read verse 1 and then we're going to skip to verse 4 and read through to verse 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Just before we send, uh, spend a little time just looking at those verses and think about what they might be saying to us in the context of frontline mission, I think it's really important to notice that nowhere in Scripture are we given any guarantee that our front line, the place that God calls us to serve him right now, is likely to be the front line that we have chosen for ourselves. I think that's a really important principle uh, to take forward. And also, it might not be the toughness of our front line that we find most difficult about the place we are called to be. It might simply be the very ordinariness of it that we find difficult to come to terms with. Accepting that God wants us to serve him precisely where we are isn't something that's necessarily easy for us to accept. I think it's safe to assume that God has specifically called each and every one of us to our particular front lines. Because they are the places of potential. They are the places of possibility. And God calls us, wherever those places are, to live a life less ordinary in the midst of ordinary lives. So with that in mind, let's just turn back to our passage because I'd like to notice four principles that this passage talks about. Principles that I think are just as relevant for us on our front line as they were to God's people back in Jeremiah's time. But there's something that we need to notice first of all. Because the principles need to be viewed through the lens of the startling words that we read near the beginning of that verse. This is what we read. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, hearing these words directly from one of God's prophets must have been a huge shock for the people. For those Jews in exile, their thoughts were centered on one thing and one thing only. Their desire to be back home. They wanted to be back in the land that God had secured for them. They wanted to be worshipping again at the temple in Jerusalem. They wanted to be God's people in God's place under God's rule. They wanted to be a gathered people. And maybe they had thoughts that weren't dissimilar to these. Well, you know what? I could serve God a whole lot better if he just let me live in the place I want to live. Maybe they thought, well, I could worship God better if only I could attend the temple. You know, I would be a better Jew if only I was able to keep the law and read the scriptures in the way that I want to do it. If only. But God's reply to his people in exile is, is a quite a shocking revelation. He says, look, it is me, I, who carried you into exile. And so despite 
the location of the front line, they remain God's people under God's rule in the place that God wants them to be. And that is a hugely important principle for us as we think about what it means to be scattered and gathered church. So with that thought in mind, let's look briefly. Four principles, very quickly, contained in the central few verses of the passage. Here's the first one. Be involved. Jeremiah says this, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Now, no doubt, uh, just like the startling news that it was actually God who took them into captivity, this fresh instruction that they should become fully involved in the community life of their front lines would have been similarly startling. Because surely God's coming to rescue us, isn't he? What's the point in putting down roots when this is only going to be temporary? But God says, settle down, get involved. Don't always be looking towards the horizon, hoping that something bigger, something better is coming your way. Be content to serve me in the place that I have put you, where you are. So... God says, settle down, get involved. You know, I guess the question for all of us is how involved are we in the everyday activity on our front lines, in the place where God has put us? Am I willing to invest time and energy to build something for God in those places? If I knew that God was calling me to the front line that I am currently in for the rest of my life, would my attitude change? That last question is particularly relevant to the people. Did you notice in the reading? Jeremiah says that you're going to be where you are for a period of 70 years. So almost all of those carried into exile would die there. God says, you are my people, you're under my rule, you're in the place I have called you, so build, settle, plant. Secondly, we notice this, be fruitful. What Jeremiah says, verse 6, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. For the people of of God living in exile, this verse would have been seen in the, the context of God's promise to Abraham that stated that the people of Israel, God's people, would one day be a great nation and that the extent of their blessing would be worldwide. But the outworking of such a huge promise, surely for the exiles now huddled together in Babylon would have seemed threatened. They're so far from home. The promise seems to have gone. But in response to their fears, God says, be fruitful. Now, for us, I think the message is similar, albeit cast in a spiritual sense. Since for us, in the context, there is a principle as well. Because it's not God's words to Abraham that are in view, but rather it's Jesus' words to his followers. Go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Or put simply, be spiritually fruitful. Be available to God to be used in some measure to make a difference where you are, on your front line, where I have placed you. Then thirdly, we discover this, be a blessing. The first part of verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And once again, this is a startling verse in the context of the situation. And the Hebrew word that Jeremiah uses for the phrase peace and prosperity is probably the one Hebrew word that we are all familiar with, the one that we all know, the word shalom. But shalom encompasses so much more than simply peace in the sense that we would normally use the word in the sort of the absence of conflict. Shalom means a whole lot more than that. It means wholeness. It means completion. It means wellness. It means perfection. This is what Tim Keller has to say, writing about the pursuit of shalom. God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another. Just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom. Now, maybe you're currently in a situation on one of your, or more of your front lines that could really, really benefit from that sense of wholeness, from that sense of shalom. That is what we're called to bring into those situations. But if that's the case, if we're struggling to see how that could possibly happen, then the fourth principle is the thing that we need to bear in mind. And here it is. Be prayerful. Second half of um, verse 7 says this. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You know, I don't profess to know all the ins and outs of prayer. But the Bible makes it clear, doesn't it, I think, that somehow God connects his work in the world that he is doing through us on our front lines with the prayers of his people. I don't pretend to know how that works. But I do know that when we pray, things happen. So at the start of this week, as we face both the encouragements and probably the discouragements of being salt and light on our front lines, let's always start the week, start the day, by bringing those situations to God in prayer, asking him to guide our steps. So the commission that we have been given as frontline disciples is to live less ordinary in the midst of our ordinary lives. We've been called to serve where we are in the sure knowledge that it is God who placed us there. So let's together just consider how with God's help we 
may work our way through this series, taking up the challenge to be more involved. Whether it's more involved as a gathered community in all of the opportunities that being gathered in this building presents week on week, whether that's work with children and young people, with older people, helping to steward at the vaccination clinic, whatever that may be. Let's take up the challenge as a gathered community to be involved and also take up the challenge as scattered community to be involved in the places where God has put us. Let's have that desire to be fruitful. Let's be a blessing to everyone we come into contact with. And let's pray that in all of the activities on our front lines as whole life disciples, whether gathered or scattered, will show something of God's love to those we share our lives with. Not so that they see us, but rather that we see Christ. We serve a God who is able to do more than we can imagine. The image shows us in minority. The reality is that we are able, with God's help, through his Spirit to make huge changes, huge differences in the places where he has put us. Let's pray, shall we? Then we're going to share communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you have done for us in Christ. We pray that as we think about what it means to be a gathered and scattered community over the next five Sundays, that you would inspire us, you would help us, as we see all of those little red dots go onto the map, help us to see all the places where we as Christians are able to spread something of the good news of the gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have in your son the perfect example. Someone who showed love in all situations, compassion and care. We pray, Heavenly Father, we may be those such that we will be fruitful, will be a blessing as we get involved prayerfully in the places you have put us. Amen.